under layers and layers of what we don't know are tiny little humans angrily and in fear pointing the finger at each other and saying you're the problem i'll take you out if i can and then there's david hello this is the adventure through the bible podcast my name is matt joining me today are eric hey there and tracy morning and karen what i'm sorry i'm on facebook doing some stuff what are we doing (laughs) just kidding good morning (laughs) i was going to be mean and tell you to put your earbud or you put put the headphones on the other ear but put the headphones uh... on the other ear karen (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh karen gave us some good news this morning that things are going well i'm going to live yeah. <laughs> Good gracious, this has been miserable. My ear, my ear is healing up nicely, and I am surviving with, I don't think I've taken any of my, I don't think, I think the last time I took a, an actual heavy-duty painkiller, I think it was last Sunday. That's that's a huge improvement. That is pretty yeah. big. I mean, I've never had a big surgery like that, you know. I mean, I've had things like wisdom teeth taken out and stuff, and, you know, even that, that little egg. a lot. Yeah, you know, that could be kind of miserable, too, but. When you get to that point, you're like, you know what? I don't think I need anything today. It, it's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's awesome. And and uh, your your internship is looking up, and and things are, are are happening well. So that's that's pretty cool. Glad to yeah. see that things are going going the right direction for you there. Well, let's get into our discussion today. We left off with David kind of on the run. He and Jonathan. Uh, Saul's son, as you recall, they formed a friendship, and Saul helped David get away from Saul because Saul is on this this bent, this rampage to to take out David. He just feels so threatened by him for whatever reason. But at any rate, it's left David David uh, in danger on the run and just kind of <laughs> running all over uh, the southern part of Israel. Here, um, it starts out. In chapter 21, we're in 1 Samuel, chapter 21. 1 Samuel, yes, 1 Samuel, chapter 21. I'll get there, guys. And he comes to this town of Nob. And it seems like Nob now is where they have the tabernacle set up. Because he comes to Ahimelech the priest. And uh, he's kind of looking for, maybe not shelter, but he is definitely looking for somebody to give him a little support. And even Ahimelech here sounds like he's kind of afraid. He says he's, um, how did they put it? He said he was afraid when he met David. Now I'm wondering, is he afraid Is he afraid of David or is he afraid of David's situation? Maybe he knows, maybe he knows the situation between him and Saul and that Saul is after him. What do you think? Well, I don't think he knows the whole story for sure. Right. And so he's probably, it's probably just one of those things that, when it when it happens, you know something is up. I mean, as parents, let's suppose a police officer rings the doorbell of your house, you know, at nine at night, and your kid's been gone all day. You immediately, you go like, "What? What's yeah?" What's and I think it was probably a similar thing. He didn't. He had probably no idea what to think, but he uh, was concerned. And it's and so I won't say and so making it like David had to do this, but David begins a lie 
because yeah. immediately, instead of telling the truth, because Ahimelech is like, hey, what's going on? Literally, he says, why are you alone? And no one's with you. David, mm -hmm. um, he makes up a story. And that's putting it nicely. Basically, David lies. And mm -hmm. um, makes up a story about how Saul is uh, giving him some special secret mission and he had to leave in a rush. And you know he, he is seeking uh, supplies. And he receives, if you have not read the story ahead of time, he, what he receives is the, uh, the sword of Goliath. Because apparently David hasn't kept the sword. It, he kind of, I don't know what, anyways, it, between the battle of David and Goliath and now, it, it shows up, it's in Nob, and it's wrapped up there. Mm -hmm. I think it's curious. Well, I think it's, I think it's part of, that's probably a high time for them, you know what I mean? You have this giant out there, and, and this little David defeats the giant, you know, with God's help. I think it's just yeah. like one of those... I don't even want to say like a memorial stone, but this is like trophy. Yeah, a trophy. That makes yeah. more sense than anything else. Is why I mean, I'd want to put it on the wall, you know. Yep. And again, yep. I'm not sure how you'd hang a sword like that on the tent wall <laughs> wherever David yeah. lived. So here's an interesting thing: is that when he comes in and he asks for food in in verse three, now what do you have on hand? Give me loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, "I have no common bread." But there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly, the men have been kept always clean. And this goes back to Leviticus being ceremonially clean. This doesn't have anything to do with, um, like, actual, like, yeah, I took a bath with, you know, Irish Spring or whatever. It's just, it's a ceremonial cleanliness. And as I read that, I thought that that, that was to be eaten by priests only, or at least Levites only. And... A little, little bit like, huh, that's an interesting thing. And Jesus actually cites this in Mark 2.25 as he's having discussions with some of the uh, people who are very, very intent on keeping the law. And he says, hey, haven't you read what David did? And it's in the context of the Sabbath in, in uh, Mark 2.25 because they were walking through the field. Remember, and they harvested the uh, grain, mm -hmm. and which was legal to do under the Levitical law, but the... Sadducees, Pharisees, etc., had had made up their own rules that said that that was now illegal because that was a form of harvesting, which was a form of working, which was against the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, "No, you guys have you've overbuilt this Sabbath thing to make it a burden." And then he uses this instance as an example of need over the letter of the law. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, it, it is interesting that. Well, you know, you you look at that that story of Jesus, and he he definitely gives us a perspective, a, a different perspective on, on on how we look at the law, you know. And some people say he was breaking he was breaking the Sabbath there. Even today, people will still say that. But but he was just he was really showing that the letter of the law is not always is not always the thing to you know to follow. I'm stumbling all over my words here. Um, well I just, I'm remembering the text where, I think it's Jesus, says that, it might even be the same story you're talking about, Eric, but where Jesus says, you know, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yeah. So it's, it's the human that takes, it's the human that takes priority. And inside of that human, 
it's God that takes priority and respect for God. And that is, that is the whole idea of the Sabbath is I prioritize this day, not for, not for my needs, but because God asked me to set this aside as a weekly remembrance of creation and the end of creation. And I'm going to pause and reflect, right? So that, that all, like, none of that has to do with the specific actions that you take or puts all of the weight of the institution of the Sabbath, which is rest from your daily duties, reorient yourself to God. Like, to me, that's kind of what the Sabbath is about. So that that text where well, I really do think it's Jesus, is that how you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Says that Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like, to me, that's what puts it in the proper order. And that's what she, that's what puts the emphasis on what you do or don't do during those hours. Right. The, the context of where I was, I had uh, I never I had never made the connection, but I had a discussion with uh, some individuals a long time ago. And the this individual cited this basically saying, yeah, the laws that we have in the Old Testament and even a lot of them in the New Testament, they don't matter because people's desires and wants come first. And they were using this as an example to do something that is plainly over and over and forbidden in the Bible. Saying, see, David broke that and Jesus even cited it. And so I can do whatever I want in area X, Y, Z. And I had a difficult time seeing that as a, everybody gets a pass on for everything kind of a thing. Don't want to bog down on this, but it was a, it's interesting that here it is, and Jesus cites it in, in the, and I think it would be important to our listeners to go and read the story in Mark 2 and see what the context of that is, because, I mean, hey, even the devil, when he's uh, struggling with Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness, the devil's quoting the Bible. So the idea that, hey, as long as you've got a Bible verse that goes with it, it must be okay, yeah, the devil tried that, and that's actually not, that's not how you get a pass. Mm-hmm. Well, even the priest here seems to recognize that just following the very specifics um, for its own, for their own purposes is not the, not quite the way to go. And I think at some point, even David says, well, the bread is, as he put it, it's like it's common now, or it's not holy. I don't, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember all the exact specifications right. I think here. What but, happened is that it was the replacement. So yeah, the new the bread, bread. Yeah. Was the bread that had been taken away. Yeah. So he said, I think it's common at this point. But then right. I, it takes me back to our, our very first question when we started. It's like, was Elimelech, was he, was he a little bit worried or put off by David a little bit? But it first says he was alone. And then it says, yeah, are my men. Right. And I always go back to that because I think in the beginning we thought, you know, David was out with just his soldiers and that kind of stuff. But David was out with a rough bunch. You know, I don't think these were great upstanding people that he was running around all southern, you know, Israel with. It was these were I like to think it was like a little bit of like marauders, to tell you the truth. Except they didn't maraud when you read ahead. They they were right. like, but they didn't actually do that. So it's kind of an interesting space. Yeah. But, you know, I think they were a rough bunch. And, you know, maybe that could be why he was put off, too. It's like these guys come up and, you know, David's asking for weapons. And what do you got here? Do you got food? You know, it could have been a little causing a little bit of angst with him. 
Okay, so one of the first things that we talked about was, you know, David choosing to lie to Ahimelech the priest. And this is kind of a legitimate dilemma to me. Like, David David has the option to, and let's just look at this from a human level first. So David has the option. He's on the run for his life. And he's got all these people with him that he's responsible for. He's going to approach the priest, and if he tells the priest the truth, the priest then knows enough to be killable or to be engaging in treason, right, by acting against his king. But if he chooses to, if he knows the story and he chooses to support David, that's a bigger decision than. David showing up and saying, hey, I need some bread. I'm hungry. Like we're, we're just out and about. Right. So he, so that's, that's, that's kind of tricky. Like I think back to times in history, like um, the Underground Railroad or, you know, hiding Jews from the Nazis or times when the government has been a little bit out of control. I'd say and, yes and no to your analogy. And I'll get back to oh, that. And I, I say yes and no to it also, because like, because if, if you take if you step back and you look at it from a higher thing than humanity, do you do you put it in God's hands and tell the truth, or do you hedge the truth, and and simply keep that human out of out of being able to have that much power over you in order to create safety for this group over here? Like I don't know. Like that's a this is kind of a weird dilemma. It is, but let's t to, to take it back a little bit, because this is important. It goes right into chapter 22, and we find out how this turns out. When somebody's, let's say, hiding somebody in the Underground Railway or hiding Jews in World War II, do they not know that they're participating in this? Oh, yeah. No, I meant like a side figure. Like, I'm hiding people, and I know that if I tell the truth, I will be wanted, and they will be wanted. And so when I go to get supplies for these people, do I tell the truth of why I need this much supplies for one person? That's more the perspective I was taking. I gotcha. Because see, what happens is, is David goes in here in this, in this situation. He does not tell Ahimelech what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and we get a little bit of a, as English teachers would call it, a foreshadowing here in uh, verse 7. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, chief of Saul's herdsmen. He shows up again in 22. Now, because this is the story we're doing, I mean, there's a few things logistically, we'll tell it out of order with your permission, Matt. Um, yeah. What ends up happening is Saul hears about this, that David's run away, and he sends for Ahimelech uh, and all his family, and he says, come to me. See, I had always read the story that um, Saul sent people out to Ahimelech, but he didn't. He called Ahimelech and all his family to, to the king. Now, if Ahimelech had known, let's suppose David showed up and said, hey, I haven't done anything to the king, but the king is trying to kill me. And you know I haven't done anything, but he's trying to kill me, and I am trying to get away, and I, you know, you got to help me. And let's suppose Ahimelech does exactly what he does here. He gives him some other bread, and he gives him a sword, and he says, run away. Now, Saul gets the message from, I'm sorry, Ahimelech gets the message from Saul that says, hey, come to my court. He would probably think, you know, I don't think I'm going to go into the closed courtyard of a, of a 
revenge maddened guy. He's not going to do it. But as it is, he has no idea. He doesn't know what's going on. He thinks he just helped Saul's guy. So Ahimelech and all of the priests go before Saul, and Saul is just mad with rage. And he says, why did you help him? And Ahimelech gives the defense. It's like, hey, I, I didn't know he was on a, on a, on a, on a uh, mission for you, right? And Saul's like, kill them all. And no one will touch the priests because they're like, well, we're not going to kill a priest who didn't do anything wrong. But this guy, back to Doeg, the Edomite, he's not a, he's not a person of Israel. He loves this idea of revenge. And he kills every single male of the family of Ahimelech, except one gets away. And then they go to the town of Nob and kill everybody. Because Ahimelech has no idea what's happened. And so David's lie that he intends, I'm sure he intended to be protective of Ahimelech, the lie didn't turn out to work that way. So then when I was reading this too, it brings me back to the other point of where Saul is in this whole story. Because at this point, I think we're starting to switch from Saul. We're seeing Saul's time come to an end and we're seeing David start to take over. And now this is the second time that Saul has put something out there that says, you know what? Get him. Kill him. Do whatever. And it's the people around him still Israel in in general that says, you know what? We're not going to do that. He tried to kill Jonathan the same way for eating the honey. Kill yep. him. I made the rule. Kill him. They rise up and they say, no, 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 no. We're not going to kill him. Now he's standing there. He has a priest there. He tells his court, kill him. No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. This is a man of God. We're not going to do this. He has somebody there that's outside of the fold now that likes the revenge stuff. He does the bidding. See, now, I think now that's when we see that shift in Saul again that, you know what? He is off the path now. I like to think it kind of off the rails at this point that, okay, he is not seeing and not doing what God intended him to do. And, at, you know, at that point, it kind of brought me back to, you know, when we see something wrong, do we stand up and say something? Do we go against it even though we're being told to do it by somebody that has in a position of authority? Do we not do it? Is that okay? What makes it okay? What makes it not okay? Right. Yeah, that's a big deal. And that's that's a contemporary thing too. I mean, it goes back to in, in war trials and so on, do this. It's like, well, if you're the if you're just a foot soldier and your commander told you to do this, what level of culpability do you have versus what they had? Yep. And just all those things, which I mean is, is more than we can parse out here. But it's just think about that for for a moment. The scale of how this would have come down. Imagine that there's a newspaper in Israel at this time that Saul has just ordered the entire family of the priest to be slaughtered. Man, woman, children, everything. What would you what would you be thinking about your king at this point? And how good an idea you're like, give us a king, give us a king. And this is what your king did. Just think about that. You know, and especially, too, against the national treasure, David. That, too. That, you know, that's how he's looked at at this point. He's revered at this point. Saul's killed 1,000. David's killed 10,000. You know, we're having celebrations where he's being put up there. He kills Goliath. You know what? He's like he's like the it thing at that point. Yeah, it is an interesting situation here because if you think, you know, we look at it 
you know, we have the bird's eye view. And if we would look at if Saul would have just embraced David and worked with him instead of against him, you know, David was such a force against the pal, or, uh, not the, who am I Philistines. Philistines. the Philistines, such a force against the Philistines. It was, it, it just seemed like he just had success all the time. Yep. And it was always for the good of Israel. And if Saul would have just embraced that, how much greater could his could his reign have been? But he spent really? so much time trying to trying to oust this guy that he thought was his enemy, and it was just it was just wasted effort. It was wasted resources. It was it, you know he he just um, he, he just ruined his own reputation with his people. Mm-hmm. You know, Tracy. but that that being said, I don't know if he could. I don't know if he could embrace him. Because the selection of David was made because Saul went against what God had been doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this, you know, I don't think their paths were ever meant to go together. Well, it could have or should have. But once Saul made that choice, yeah, you're right. It wasn't in his capacity yeah. to do that. You know, David wasn't even in the mix when Saul made the initial choice to take on the, you know, priest and go against Samuel or take on the priestly nature and go against Samuel. David wasn't even in the mix. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he did that and he strayed already. And now we had to go there or it was going the direction with getting David anointed to be the next king. Saul, your time's done. Yeah, but you know, the, the king, David's kingship wasn't necessarily going to be right away. I mean, it, the whole time it seems right. like it was it would it would pass to David instead right. of to Jonathan. So so Saul, Saul still had the opportunity to be king. He had the opportunity to still be a good king. Yeah. While he was alive, and he just he just didn't, you yeah. know. Well, he's he the insane, just the the jealousy and the the um, the envy, just how just literally <clears throat> how crazy it makes him. And we've got more to go mm-hmm. um, of things, and we see we see David's character developed more fully, and we see Saul's character developed more fully as the stories unfold. Right. Well, backing up just a little bit there in 22, we see uh, David gathering. Well, he's not so much gathering. People just kind of come to him. They just flock to him. Well, let's, get, of, let's, let's go back to 21, the end of 21. We didn't talk okay. about how David flees to Gath. Well, yeah, Gath. <laughs> Isn't that where Goliath was from? Yep. yep. Yeah. So that seems like an odd place for him to go. He's obviously got a huge reputation. Everybody knows who David is, and he goes okay. right to the place of and the guy. And sword to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like, oh, hey, I remember where I got this thing. Let's take it to that guy's hometown. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting thing. And put it in the context of um, of a um, – in their minds. Remember back to when David was fighting Goliath. This was about the superiority of their gods, right? Mm-hmm. And when David shows up in Gath and says, protect me from the king of Israel, what kind of implications does that have? On on the honor shame society. I mean, it's it's a it's and then David has to debase himself to to the point to where he, if you haven't read the story, he goes there. The king says, "Sure, I think this is funny. You know, you you could stay here, and it's kind of like a trophy." And then David realizes, "Oh, what am I doing here? This is crazy," and so he pretends to be insane and just basically spits all over himself and lets his, as it says here, his spittle run down his beard. 
and makes marks on the doors. He's just running around like a crazy guy, like writing crazy. I think of the X-Files. You know, he's he's writing crazy symbols all over and people are like, what's in, what's the deal with this dude? He's had the magic mushrooms or something. And the king is like, I got enough crazy guys here. I don't need one from Israel and gives them all the boot. But think about the, in the honor shame context of things, what just happened again. This is not a high point of David's story where he lies to Ahimelech. He uh, runs away to Gath. And then he has to pretend, or you know, I don't know if he has to, but he does pretend to be a madman. And then he escapes out of there to the cave of Adullam. Yeah, he goes to this cave of Adullam, and he's since he's joined by his brothers. I mean, yeah, people start coming to him. It's it's <laughs> there's a part of me that, that that finds it interesting that it's like everybody always knows where David is, but Saul can't ever find him. But yeah. um, people start coming to him, and they're kind of like all the misfits. They're the people who are distressed and they're in debt and they're unhappy uh, with just, I guess, life. I don't know. Um, well, but think about this. The king, I mean, Saul's going, he's going crazy. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, you got a, you got a crazy administration going on right now. And people, probably some very good people like, um, I really don't want to be around that anymore. Yeah. So he, he starts collecting a, quite a, collection of uh of misfits maybe maybe they're misfits for various reasons but they're not the they're not the typical a-listers right i suppose in some ways they're probably people who would have been overlooked by society not the typical people that 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 would be considered valuable yeah. you know because we, we, as a society and, I, and this kind of is clear to me even through this text even back then we have a tendency to sort of look down on people who are out of sorts, who are having a rough time, and we forget to consider why they're having a rough time. Right. We forget to consider why they're in the, you know, why why their personality is the way it is, and we don't know what's what's brought them to whatever um, situation they have, you know, to to reacting the way they way they do to things now, and so yeah, so David's kind of taken on all these misfits and he gets, it says about 400 men. So it says 400 men were with them. So it's not like only 400 people came to him. It sounds like David is, he, he's sort of already starting to build up his own kingdom here of followers that are just kind of abandoning Saul. And mm -hmm. his to numbers David. go up through our reading of 21 through 24. Each time we see a count of David's people, it's more, you know, David shows up and, and um, to Ahimelech and says, do you have some bread? Well, we know from Leviticus, I mean, at most there was 12 loaves of 12 big loaves of pita bread. That's mm -hmm. it. And somehow that's enough to for his for his crew there. And then in 22, in chapter 22, it's like, oh, now he's got a couple hundred people with him. He leaves his family in Moab. And I just I had a little side note in my uh, Bible here. I was reminded by Karen a couple weeks ago is that David's. His, I think, believe it, it was his great grandmother was a Moabite, and so you go to David's parents, and for him to go to Moab and say, "Hey, these people are, you know, not too distant relatives of yours. Can they stay here?" It would, it would, it would actually kind of fit. It wasn't like going to Gath for David. It was like, "Hey, we really want to go back to your, you know, to your hometown, to your roots. Is that okay if you watch over them for a little bit?" But that was interesting. 
Yeah, and it they stay there for a while mm-hmm. until God says no. It's not really where they ought to be, right? And uh, sends them to Judah. It says he's running all over the place. He's he's running in the out in Moab. Then it says he runs to the forest. I was looking at maps this morning, and David is just like all over the place down there. You know, I mean, he got you know when we think we got to remember, you know, going fifty miles for them would have been. You know what? A couple days walk, probably two or three days. I don't know, because um, you can walk. You can probably walk twenty miles in a day without too much trouble. But um, but yeah, they're just all over the place. Yeah, and, so they're they're running all over. Then we have this little interlude of uh, we've skipped ahead to where Saul kills the priests at Nob. The way the Edomite does this, and it's a crazy thing. I'm sure that people were were thinking, "What in the world? Our king has lost his mind." And I guess this is just a to, to look at it from the big picture here is that this is a theme that shows up again and again. We actually started the podcast with a theme like this is like, what did the people who died or suffered do wrong to deserve it? And we see this through the Bible. And the answer is sometimes nothing. They didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And we have the family of Ahimelech that's killed. They're doing they're missionaries, basically. Right. They're they're priests. And they're killed by a mad king, and they die. They're not all miraculously spared. And that is because there's evil in the world. Jesus had to address this when he was teaching. He said, do you think that the people who were killed between the altar and the temple were worse than, than you guys? They got killed, and you judged them. What about, about the people that the Tower of Siloam fell on? Do you think that they were bigger sinners than you guys just because they died? So this is... this. Rush to Judgment goes from Job, which we understand to be a very early book, all the way through Jesus' day. And here it would be easy to say, well, those priests, they must have done something wrong. And sometimes in a war, people die. Like people who weren't directly responsible for any this, that, or the other. It just, that's what happens. And in a cosmic conflict like this, innocent people die. Tracy, saw your hand first. Oh, I think I hit that from the old time. Okay. Well, then, Kara. Sorry. <laughs> Tracy always has something to say. <laughs> he's, just, um, he's just like this the whole I time. I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> the, the person in the back waving their hand. Me, 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 me. Do you need some attention today, Tracy? Let's all pay Then I get called on, and then it's like, oh, yeah, the thunder's <laughs> on. Sorry. <laughs> So the, the, the other the other sort of thing that stood out to me in chapter 22 as I was reading through this was this whole sort of showdown where Saul says to his men, kill the priests, right? And they're like, no, we're not doing that, right? So the priests show up, they tell the truth, they genuinely don't know. Right. Saul says, kill them anyway, and his men won't do it. So he turns to the guy who reported it to him, because he already knows he's in his corner, and says, you kill them. And that guy has time. And I, it, doesn't, it doesn't say whether he did it by himself or whether he had people helping him. But it, it's hard for me to imagine one dude killing 85 dudes with the weapons of the day and only one escapes. You know what I mean? Like that seems a little helpless on the 85 people's part. And it doesn't say a single word about Saul's men resisting that order. 
So they wouldn't take action and do it themselves. But when someone else is ordered to do it, they stand there passively. And they were there. Like, it's not, you know, they were there. It's very, it's very, you know, when, when do you take action? When do you watch? When do you feel that judgment is so clear that it's time for you to do something? And when do you suspend judgment because you, you may or may not have all the facts? It just is such a dilemma. Yeah, it never really occurred to me, I guess, that Doeg probably had his own following of men and they probably, I would imagine they helped with this. I mean, killing 85 priests and destroying a whole town. But then, like you say, all these guys, all these soldiers of Saul who said, no, we won't do it. They just where watched they? it happen. Yeah, where were they? Ha- yeah. where were they? We won't do it, but we're also not going to stop you. Right. Yeah. This is the thing, too, I was looking at. Is kind of like what I said before, is that, you know, is it that dilemma, like we're talking about, that you sit there and look at it and just say, you know what, I know it's wrong, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Right. I, I'm still on the the right if I don't do anything. If I just stand, I can't be held accountable for killing these people because I didn't do it. But you stood there and watched. You know, but then I was looking at it and these were these were priests, you know, the family of, of a pri- priest. And we already know that they weren't built for war. They were supposed to be taken care of by the rest of Israel. So, you know, was it out of line that maybe a soldier could go and kill 85 people that are standing there like like sheep? I don't know, you know, and but I think the bigger part of this for me was that, you know what? What would have happened if one of Saul's men would have said, you know what, I'm not going to do it. And matter of fact, I'm not going to let you do it. Yeah, it's yeah, I think that's an individual thing. And we it, with the Internet, we can be endlessly involved in every sort of controversy that comes up and comment on every post and become a keyboard warrior or go to every. I, I think it's easy to be paralyzed by that. But I yeah. think we need to look at, look, what is in my circle of, of influence? What can I legitimately help? What can I step out and speak out against? And this isn't talking about the, the killing of, um, of, these, uh, of the priests, but in our own lives, is that we're not called to fight every, at every opportunity that shows up. Because there's an endless number of things that show up. And at sometimes we speak up. I, I, I can think of various things that, that um, like there's a video that I made with, uh, and Karen did a cameo and uh, Tracy did a cameo in it. <laughs> and Pat's done a cameo in another video that I've done, all on different topics to where I felt like I have to speak up about this. And then I've had people write to me after like, oh, that was really good. I can't wait for the next one. Like, no, that was it. Like I felt called to this one. But I don't feel called to fight every time. And and I think it's to us is to and this is a really interesting thing that I noticed as we start in chapter 23 is you ask God, is this the one? Is this the time? Is this what what do I do here? Because there is an endless parade of things that want our attention and we can't function if we, you know, try to do all of them because we can't. We'll just be paralyzed. We'll become inactive. We'll do nothing. And that is truly not productive. But I think the key here is in 23, we see an interesting um, pattern. And see if you guys see it in 23 and 24 too, as we finish uh, this section, 
is David repeatedly asks God, and Saul presumptuously assumes he's doing God's will. He even just says to people, oh, the Lord bless you for doing this, when he's doing what is exactly against God's request. So, so to the point is, like in 23, David asks God, hey, what should we do? And in, in uh, verse 7, Saul says this to people. He's pursuing uh, David. Saul says, God has given him into my hand. Like, dude, no, we, Saul, we've been told over and over, God left you. Like, you're on your own, man. You do not have the Spirit of God in you. And yet Saul keeps running around saying, the Lord told me to do this. I'm doing this in the name of the Lord. It's just to be careful saying, just because someone runs around saying they're doing what they're doing in the, quote, the name of the Lord, doesn't mean that's true. Yeah, I, I was noticing something there in chapter 23. As David is asking God, should I attack the Philistines? One of the things that came to my mind is, well, shouldn't Saul be attacking these Philistines? Shouldn't Saul be pushing these guys out of his out of his kingdom? But David is the one who's saying, God, should I go do this? While Saul is, I don't know, he's so, he's so wrapped up with David that he can't, uh, he just can't even see where he's supposed to be going. And I think that's the key there, is that Saul's focus no longer was on Israel and doing God's will. It was on David, destroying David. Mm-hmm. And David's already starting to gravitate towards that role as, a, as you know what, a leader or the protector of Israel and says, wait a minute, here comes the Philistines. Maybe I can deal with them too. You know, where Saul's focus is not on that anymore. It's not on his leadership duties. It's hunting down David. So this week I had a little thing I had to deal with. I I was pretty sure that I was hearing God tell me to intervene in something socially. I was pretty sure I was hearing God tell me to do that, but it was going to be really uncomfortable for me personally if I did. And so I was all, I was also like just basically squirming in my seat. And I, and like, I would, I would convince myself that it, that it wasn't God. And then I would convince myself that it was God. And it was like, Oh my goodness. Like, what do I do? So I finally, with the help of a few people, (laughs) uh, I finally got, what I thought was clarity and I did it and it was very uncomfortable and I was walking blind. I still don't know what the effect will be or if I'll ever know. And I hated, I hated being on that precipice of doubting my own thoughts, doubting what I knew to be true versus what I was guessing at. And then in light of what I did or didn't know, doubting God's voice. I hated that. I really want everything to be black and white and clear and either right or wrong and obvious. And it just isn't. And like we look ahead in the Bible, we had a bunch of chaos going on in the U S right now. Anybody who's paying attention knows that we have had chaos going on in the U S and it's kind of, there's different versions of it still going on, man. We look ahead to the future of the world. It doesn't end pretty. You want to talk about not knowing which battle you're called to? You want to know about eternal results of making the wrong choice? Man, you know, this 
this stuff we're dealing with now on a small day-to-day basis or these these like eric said you know which which thing you actually reach out you know reach out and make it make an intervene in in some way like we know by the end of the world like those things get big those things get big and it's um man as a little (laughs) i was just having so much trouble making that decision because like i'm just one little human i can't possibly make a difference and yet god put us here to make a difference and he was what it turned out was very clearly saying to me go there and say that to that person and i don't know if i'll i don't know if i'll ever even know the outcome of that but Karen, you make a super good point, is that we've been kind of given this in our superstar era of social media and TV. It's kind of like, well, unless I'm the star quarterback, what difference can I make? Right. You know, unless unless I'm on the president's cabinet or unless I have uh, five million followers, what difference can I make? And the thing, the answer is, and I know this, I'm just going to say it, we can influence the people right next to us and to them that moment that thing that influence that we have that is the world at that point when we're standing next to somebody the impact we have on that person is more than the president it's more than michael jordan it's it's more than any of of the kardashians because we are right there and we have the ability to impact the people that we are right next to. And I would not want any of us or any of our listeners to feel that you don't have influence or you don't have a voice because you do. Because look, if somebody said Kylie Jenner has a message for me today, I like, I don't care. It would be hard for me to care less what she thinks <laughs> I should do. <laughs> but if, if Matt said something to me or Tracy had something to me or Karen said, Hey, I've, I've, that means something. Like that carries weight for me. See and that impacts my life. Sorry, but I, I want to say that, especially too, with what Eric's saying, is that I think too. I look at the blessing that I've gotten from being able to jump into the Word every single day with all of you. I look back at our text messages. And you know what I've noticed? I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, but we seem to contact each other a lot more here recently. Yeah, right. Fact, yeah. I'm, I'm notorious. My wife always tells me, why don't you erase text messages? It's like, because I like to go back. Because sometimes I'll say something and it's like, you know what? Maybe that wasn't the right thing to say. Or, you know what? Have I said that before? But just looking back at it, since we started our journey through the Bible, that now... We come together to say, you know what, guys, I need help. I need prayer. I need guidance. And this is becoming happening more and more as we go on. And I think that speaks volumes to where we're at in the world today is that, you know what, we're looking past self and say, you know what, I need help. Let's come together because I think in anything, two, three heads are better than one. And sometimes when it it looks like, you know what, I might be going down the wrong path. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Sometimes it might take somebody to say, you know what, don't think of it as a setback. You know, think of it as a setup for something greater. Oh, hey, Tracy said that to me in a text this week in the middle of my dilemma. 
And I was like, well, that's really good. I'm glad I don't erase text so that I can remember to go back and do that. that. Then we become scared of what the outcome is going to be. And if you go to somebody else with just love, then things can change. Yeah. And I'll just put it out here. And Karen, you're absolutely right when you say, you know what? We're in the United States now. We are in such an upheaval. Yeah. But my thing is, is that I want my character to come through. Now, sometimes I'll just be perfectly honest. My background makes it very direct where I'm just super direct. And when you say sometimes I want things black and white, that's kind of where I live. But I think as I've gone on and I've studied that sometimes there is a gray zone. And sometimes it is okay to say, you know what? We can agree to disagree. But can we do it with love and respect? Yeah. And for all those listeners out there, and especially, too, with our four that are here, we don't always see eye to eye. Politically, we could be different sides of the different sides of the perspective and different polar opposites. But you know what? There's probably no one that I trust more to say, you know what, guys, I'm going through something. I need some prayer. Yeah. I'm having a dilemma about this. You know, and, and two... I challenge people to look out there when I do, sometimes I post and I'll be perfectly honest with you. I have a, a long fuse and on Facebook, it, it whittles down over time. And then finally, I just have to say something. Listen, this is this is where I'm going with this. Some people might agree. Some people might not agree. But I always try to do it in a respectful and loving manner. I try not to, to and I say this. And I tell my children this all the time. If I need to use a four-letter word, then I cannot get it intellectually across what I'm trying to say. And and to me, you you lose some of the how valid your argument is if you have to go that route. And so if we can just do things like we've, we've said from the beginning, if we can put self in the backseat and think about how we can change our backyard – then we can change our neighborhoods, our communities, our cities, our states, and a nation. Awesome. Okay, now I'll jump off my soapbox. Right. <laughs> so, so let's 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 move into twenty three and see how this plays out in David's um, David's story and how this works. We get a lot of back and forth. It's a very interesting read. And again, I'd encourage uh, listeners to read this First Samuel. We're, we're at the moment looking at uh, chapters 23 and 24, and there's a lot of back and forth here. Um, and there's a lot of David asking God for what would seem obvious. I mean, just think about this. Oh, the bad guys are attacking the city of Israel. Should David step in? Duh, of course he should. Except David doesn't make that assumption. He says, God, what should I do? God says, yeah, you need to step in and save this town of Keilah. And in fact, David's men were like, whoa, I'm not so sure about this. Um, like in the heartland, we're a little bit nervous. Why would we want to go out to the borderlands and get involved? And so David prays again. And God says, yep, I will deliver them to you. So David goes and does this. Now, here's the one that would be even more of an assumption. It's like, well, after you've saved these people, they, of course, would protect you, right? David, I would assume that. I was like, well, yeah, I just saved them from the Philistines. But David doesn't make that assumption. He says, God, will these people stand up for me and protect me? And God says, no, actually, they won't. They're going to turn you over to Saul. You better you better leave. And we see David go again. 
here's another theme that I think is worthy of at least reflection. I mean, we can't parse it all out here. But if God, if if David is God's anointed, why is David taking steps towards self-preservation? Why doesn't he just say, I'm naming it and claiming it. God said I'm going to be a king, and I'm going to stay right here in Bethlehem and Judah, and Saul, you can't do anything about it because God picked me. I'm not even going to lock my doors. Can we go back just a little bit to what you were saying initially is that I think in everything, ask God, go to counsel. I, and I think we see that in the beginning with Saul. Saul asked the Lord, what should I do from the very beginning? And I think that goes to speak volumes of the connection that you have with God. Saul didn't have that anymore and, and basically had to lie about it and said, well, God told me to do this to rally the troops to go with him to do things. Yeah, David is going several times in here. Yeah, David goes with everything. Every should I fight? Should I not? Should I stay? Should I go? I think that speaks volumes about the communication that he had with God and the strong ties he had with God at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's a call to just say, hey, look, you know, when maybe there's times when God says, Nope, you need to get out of Dodge. I mean, after all, let's think about this. We just not a million years ago, we finished Christmas. And there's the story in Luke where, where uh, Joseph has a dream. An angel says, you need to leave. You need to flee right now. I mean, it's the Son of God. It's Jesus we're talking about, baby Jesus. Could God not have just sent a bunch of armed angels and said, you can't come here? Yes, he could have, but he didn't. And at that time, Jesus and his family had to flee. And here we have David, who is fleeing. Saul could have taken a different course, wish he would have. And Saul says, here, this is in 2320, uh, there's an interesting dialogue here. The Ziphites are basically saying, hey, hey, we know where David is, come get him. I'm sure the Ziphites were hoping for the king's favor. Now, they're not acting very honorably here, but they, this is what they say. And in verse 20, they say, come down, O king, according to your heart's desire. They're playing to his biases. They're playing to his desire for revenge. This isn't like, hey, you need to do what the Lord's doing. They know this. So they say, come down and do what you want to do. And Saul says, oh, may you be blessed by the Lord, for you've had compassion on me. Wow. I mean, that's just, it's so opposite of what God has wanted, what God has stated, what people know to be true. But that doesn't stop Saul from quote, blessing these people for basically doing the devil's work. Again, I'm reminded of that verse in the New Testament, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of mm -hmm. interesting. A lot of people that either actually think or have convinced themselves or are so blinded by their own desires they can't tell the difference, like they, they will broadcast it far and wide that they're doing the Lord's work. And it's, 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 a, it's an interesting thing. Um, so... In, in 23, back at the beginning, when, when David wants to inquire of the Lord with Abiathar, he says, bring the ephod, right? Now, isn't this the Urim and the Thummim? Like, weren't they mounted on either side of the ephod, and they were like the yes and no signals from God when you prayed? Is, isn't that that? Isn't that what they used the ephod for when they were inquiring of the Lord? I don't think they're the same thing, no. but I no, do I know think there's they... the twelve stones in the middle, right? Yeah, no, right. but ephod is just a is a is a linen robe because baby when Samuel was a child, his mother used to make him a little 
ephod, as I recall, and then she made him a bigger one every year. I think that's just like the priestly garments. I don't think it's specifically the Urim Thummim breastplate, that whole apparatus. Huh. Because I was like, I, I was like, I kind of got stuck on that for a minute. I was like, wait, is this, does this go back to like those, those, because I, I know that the, I don't, I haven't found it in the Bible, but I know that sort of colloquial, shall we, dare, dare we call it knowledge, says that the Urim and the Thummim were used to find out God's will. Yeah, and, we see that. No, that's biblical. Yeah. But I, back I just, the Exodus. Okay. And um, I'm, I'm just curious, like. I just wondered how that fit into this story, because if it's a robe, why does the robe, you know, why does a robe matter? Like, if you're going to approach God, what, you know, what good does the robe do? Does that just mean go put on your priestly garments and assume the role? Like, is that just like a step into your job kind of a thing? Or I don't know. I just I was curious about that. It could have been part of it. I mean, or, or, you know, included with it. I mean, I would say probably when you say bring the ephod, you're definitely saying come come perform as as priest and the the yeah. ephod was or, or the urim and thummim was was probably part of that because he's definitely getting very it seems like very clear yes and no answers from god should yeah. i go here yes should i stay here no you know and so it definitely seems like he's getting some pretty clear d- direction of how to go and it's, and because he's kind of taking the right path on it and going through the right channels so I'm with you on that. Very well, the the Urim and Thummim very well could have been in there with part of that. I'm gonna Makes have sense. to do, do some digging into the priest garments now. And now I'm now I'm now I've got something to do this week. Because <laughs> I'm sure you had nothing. Yeah, our point is that he's he's asking. Yeah. yeah. And Saul is just going through the motions. So we go into chapter 24. Some really interesting stuff happens in here. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool story. Yeah. Okay, Saul, I just have to put this out here. Okay. It was, okay. it was plaguing me all week. How many times in the Bible do we see people's bowel habits being put in the chat? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just wondering because that's the first time I've ever seen it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but says he had to go relieve himself. Yeah. Anybody yeah. else in there? I don't remember. Yeah, and the fact that he went away to a cave tells us more of uh, exactly. what the nature yeah. of it was. Number one yeah. was at number two, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, Kendall had to bring that to my attention. He was like, hey, Dad, has is there anybody else that they say that he went to the bathroom? I'm like, you know, none that I can remember, son. So yeah, I was. when you're on the outs, really, you're on the outs. They're just going to put all your business out here even when you go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I remember as a kid sitting next. So my mom had a um, for a while she used a paraphrase of the Bible because she you know, she was a preacher's kid. She grew up saturated with this stuff. So simply switching up the language was really valuable to her. And I remember I was sitting in church one time and OK, my dad was was a preacher and I would hear him practice his sermon out loud all week. So by by the weekend, I like I kind of knew what he was going to say. So I didn't always tune in real closely. So I was sitting next and I, I just started reading. And it was this, and I and I and I snorted with laughter out loud when I came to that, because I I for some reason had never registered that. Yeah, I think I was in like fourth grade or something like that, and I remember just like snorting out loud with laughter, and my mom looking at me like, "You okay?" I'm like, "Look what it says." <laughs> yeah, so fill us in. What's the story, Matt? So <laughs> you have to give me a minute now. <laughs> 
was such a child. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Saul's got 3,000 men coming after David now at this point. So, I mean, Saul is really worked up over David. 3,000 men because I guess we don't really know how many David's got. I mean, we know of the 400, but um, but anyway, he's coming. Saul is really coming for David here. And he goes into into a, into a cave to have a little private time, and doesn't realize that that is the exact cave where David and and his men are are staying. What a what a interesting coincidence here. Because I mean, if you hear if you've ever watched any documentaries like on the Dead Sea Scrolls and stuff, and you see just how riddled with caves that land is. There's just little caves everywhere, little, you know, little, I mean, it's just everywhere. So to pick the one, after you've been following this guy, you've been trying to find this guy, and you pick the one where he and his men are staying to uh, to go have a little bathroom time. And, um, well, not, not to add light to the whole situation, but it's not something that you could jump into a cave really quick, cut somebody's garment, and be off. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that there's a lot of caves with the possibility of a lot of scrolls, which is the equivalent of a good magazine. So, which tells <laughs> oh, you that really, that you are Saul, not helping, man. <laughs> Saul could have been in there for a while, reading, reading a scroll. Because, I cannot believe you just said that. <laughs> no, I just I have to put it out there because it, it took a while to cut the garment. It and they yeah. and they talked about it. There was banter back and forth. Should I cut it? Should I not cut it? You know, right, <laughs> right. You know, do I do I take a quarter? Do I take a little bit more? Mm-hmm. It was down there for a while. <laughs> Must have been well, a good scroll. Good information. Well, David's men actually are more like, hey, here's your chance. Go up there and kill him. I mean, you could go. You could go up there and just get it done right now. And and David. He's not going to do this because he's still recognizing that God has put Saul into this position. So just right here, this is really <clears throat> it's a key thing. We've been talking about listening to God, asking God, watching, asking for signs. How easy would it be for David to say, just give me a sign, God, if I'm supposed to kill Saul? Oh, and yeah. From Saul by himself, defenseless, literally mm-hmm. caught with his pants down. Right. And David has this unparalleled opportunity to do and david could have and i think we get tested this is eric talking here not not uh, straight straight out i think we get tested with opportunities to do what we would want to do that could plausibly be quote a sign from god well you you gave me this opportunity that's got it god gave me a sign and I think we should be really careful about those, give me a sign, oh, this is from God, I'll do it. Because mm-hmm. here, and we have it twice in this chapter, David has this opportunity given to him, and his men basically saying, hey, God's given you this choice to do this. And that is the hardest one to resist, is one that is is a temptation to do something that plausibly God would allow or even bless. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. You know, at, at this moment, I I thought of, okay, people think of swords as these big clunky things. Guys, 
to anybody who's cut fabric with a knife, you can't just grab a corner of a robe, probably a fairly, I don't know how finely sewn they could have been, and cut it off with a sword easily and silently with the, with the owner sitting right there. That's a mm-hmm. sharp sword. I mean, we're talking about a razor here. Yep. He could have literally killed Saul. Saul wouldn't have known what happened at all. Right. And David passes this opportunity to kill Saul. And he just, he resists the opportunity to take revenge himself. It's a fascinating thing. Yeah, rather than killing Saul, he takes the time to cut this piece of the robe and the purpose of that is so that he can show Saul with some physical evidence now that he David is not Saul's enemy yeah Saul leaves the cave and I can imagine he's probably (laughs) talking to men or whatever and David comes right out of the cave Saul was just in all of his men are going to see this Saul is going to realize this that David was in there the whole time and David shows him, look, here, look, look, I did this instead of killing you. I'm not your enemy. What more is it going to take for me to to prove this to you? I had you literally right in front of me. And and like you said, Eric, it it could have been quick. It could have been quiet. It could have been another one of those situations like uh, who was that king that got people assumed he was in the room relieving himself because he'd been there and there for a while. Was that? Hmm? Ehud killed yeah. the king. Right. Yeah. You know, it could have been another situation like that where they assumed he was in there. And when somebody finally gets worried and goes in and finds him, you know, that it could have been one of those. But David didn't make it that. He 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 spared Saul. He he um just he just shows him, look, you've got nothing to worry about from me, so so stop. You know, I and, think too. Just the whole, you know, the competition-wise, the the, um, envy that's between the two, that while Saul goes, okay, you got me. Yeah, you could have killed me. I'm sorry. Um, You're definitely doing God's will at this point. But in the back and him walking away, he's stewing, going, you know what? This didn't turn out well for me, even in the eyes of everybody else. And it just, it gets a little bit in the crawl at that point. And you know what? He he doesn't let it go. Kind of moving forward, right. too. He doesn't let it go. And I think it just, it kind of eats at him is that, you know what? He bested me an, again yep. in front of yep. everyone. Yep. So I need to put on a good face. Yeah, you got me. Great. But it's really eating at me. And I think it just adds to this fuel to the fire. So a couple things. In uh, 2313 is the last reference in today's reading to how many men are with David at this point. It says, so David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. All right. So anyway, I knew I had read that someplace and that's where it is. The things that I liked about how when David steps out of the cave and addresses Saul, I mean, he does it in front of his men and Saul's men. So like there's that. And and he, he abdicates rank. My Lord, the King, right? He prostrates Mm -hmm. himself. Why do you say what, you know, why do you listen when people say that I'm bent on harming you? He calls him my father, right? And he says, there is nothing 
in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done me, but my hand will not touch you. Yes. So, like, this, this to me spoke loud and clear about the, the, the situation in the U.S. today, because it's like, from COVID on, it's like people have been so, have, they're, the people, people's urge to go after each other as the enemy has heightened so dramatically in the last year. I've just been dumbfounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I remember a few years ago, I was writing a freelance article. I mean, it was, I was actually a big presentation thing, but I was writing this freelance presentation that this, this law uh, person was going to go give at the, some big international symposium. And it, it was, it involved politics. And even at that point, there was such a staggering number like if you look at the two main political parties in the US like there was such a staggering number of people on in either party who were who were afraid they hated and they were afraid of the people in the other party mm-hmm. yeah the human the human tendency to make difference an all consuming thing that is judged and take taken action on Right. And then and then we've got David. May the Lord judge between you and me. God actually knows he's Mm -hmm. got the full story. He's got the full scoop on everything and he's in control and he's guiding the earth to the end of time. Right. So underneath that, under layers and layers of what we don't know, are tiny little humans angrily and in fear, pointing the finger at each other and saying, you're the problem. I'll take you out if I can. And then there's David. Like, mm-hmm. may the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done me. My hand will not touch you. I thought that was really cool. I really like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a really, really, really important point. And we see this happen over and over with David. Even after David comes out and he confronts Saul, he says, I haven't done this. Saul says, oh, I won't... Uh, Basically, I, you know, I know you're better than me and, and it's, it's all good, right? David has some boundaries. He still doesn't say, oh, well, I'm good. We're, I'm glad we're friends now. I'll move back to town. He, David knows, David has some boundaries and David still says, okay, good. I'm, I'm glad you're not, uh, not hunting me down anymore today. Bye-bye. And then David, he still doesn't go back. There's. There's, I think, a lesson for us in this is that it's okay to not, to, to Karen's point, to, to, put the, to put the judgment of things in God's hands and at the same time not put ourselves unnecessarily at risk. Yep. Because mm-hmm. David doesn't go back. He doesn't move back and, you know, settle up and cozy up with Saul like he once did. Uh, I think there's a, there's a, there between... Between saying, oh, sure, I'll be a victim, I'll just go do whatever, I'll, I'll be gullible and, and take your word for it, and I'll avenge myself, I'll put myself up front, is to say, I'll put this in God's hands, and I'm going to put a few miles between you and me. How does the New Testament word that? He is wise as serpents and as gentle as doves? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, 
it's a, and I think it goes again to David being in tune with God, which by the way, if you want to read kind of what's going through David's mind right now, you can read uh, Psalm 54, because Psalm 54, the little preface to it, says this was written while David is in the wilderness of Ziph, and the Ziphites had uh, told Saul where he was going to be. Was that in our reading for today? No, it Did wasn't. I just... I, I'm reading through Psalms. I read through Psalms and Proverbs um, oh. a little bit every day, all every day. And I just happened to read through that one. I'm like, oh, hey, that, that's... Now, he, to keep in mind... David was in the wilderness of Ziph a number of different times. So was it this particular time? I don't know, because as Matt said, he was kind of like a pinball bouncing all around. Yeah, Uh, It's hard to know when that one was, but that's an interesting read. That David was in touch with God. David, every time he said, God, I'm going to put this in your hands, David comes out. He, he comes out clean. And every time David doesn't do this, and there's a bunch of times he doesn't, it's trouble. There's pain and suffering, sometimes to him, sometimes to others, as a result of his not doing that. Right. A proverb comes to mind that was just brought to my attention this week, and I can't remember exactly where it was, and I'm, I'm going to try to par- paraphrase it and probably butcher it, but it was something along the lines of the beginning of wisdom oh, just to seek one is to seek wisdom. So the beginning of wisdom is to seek wisdom, you know, and, and yeah, I remember Proverbs one is talking about, if I remember right, it's, you know, wisdom is like one of the greatest things you can ever, you can ever seek. But, but the beginning of it is to seek it in the first place. Yeah. Well, there's one seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Yeah. Mm. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's yeah, I think I, I think it's a little further in than that, but but um, but yeah, just just the idea that you know, if you if you want to be wise, if you want to act uh, in, in ways that are productive, you know, the first thing you have to do is want to be wise, yeah, and not not assume. Don't assume you're wise. Seek the wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, and it will be given him. That's the James. That's the James version of it that I really like. Yeah. Well, I think that about wraps up our discussion for this week. Now, next week we're actually not going to stick in Samuel. We're going to jump to the Psalms. So maybe that Psalm you were reading is in part of this, Eric. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're we are going to do a bunch of Psalms. So pull out your pen and paper because I got a bunch of them here that I'm going to write off, read off here. We're going to read Psalm 7, 27, 31, 34, 52, 56, 120, and 140 through 142. <clears throat> I have a pen now. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, we might have to text. Make that one of our uh, frequent texts this week. I will do that as soon as we, and I promise you this time, as soon as we finish recording, I will, I will send that out to you. (laughs) But, um, and that sounds like a lot, but when you look at them, all of those Psalms are actually pretty short. It's not going to be, I don't think it'll be too much. So yeah, we're going to step away into the Psalms just for a week. And then the following week, we'll get back into first Samuel. While you are reading all of those Psalms, Remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org with any questions, comments, concerns. If you want to tell us we're great, tell us we're awful, 
tell us we're pretty. No. <laughs> you can tell Karen. You can tell Karen she's pretty. She'd probably pretty, be pretty. Pretty voice. Yeah. Pretty voices. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family. This, folks, this is so important because this is the way. This is the way the word gets out. I'm not putting out a budget for advertising. We're, you know, we're not trying to make any money out of this, and we're not really putting much money into it. The best way you can help us is to share this podcast with other people that might be interested in hearing it. So we would very much appreciate you doing that. And be sure you've subscribed to the podcast so that you reach us in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. So Proverbs 4, 7, this is an ESV. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. That's it, exactly. Exactly.